Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Sidgwick to review AEW Rampage and uh, well, an all-timer episode, this including a match of the year candidate, arguably. I think it's my match of the year. I'll go into details on why, as and when we review the main event of the show, but in general, it was a phenomenal episode of television. Everything was at the very least good or productive, and the peaks were as high as you'll get all year. Um, I'm in love with the Blackpool Combat Club. <laughs> I'm in the process of making the Blackpool Combat Club a mix CD. I'm just finalizing the track listing, making sure that there are secret coded messages in the lyrics to convey yeah. my love of the Blackpool Combat Club. Standing it outside is, Danielson's window with a... Yeah, with a with a boombox. My <laughs> God, it's just the best thing ever. Quick note on... Uh, basically, what I'm going to do here is list all of my tweets that I posted <laughs> over yeah. the weekend. And I'm sorry, the, the mega fans uh, are going to have to forgive okay. me for this because usually I try and get a tweet out there, you know, engagement, you want to build your following, all the rest of it. You want to sort of celebrate that which you've just enjoyed. But I try and keep a few takes mm-hmm. for the podcast so the mega fans get new content yeah. in audio form. But I was just like, boom, I have to talk about this bit, this bit, this bit, this bit, this bit, this bit. What you have at the Blackpool Combat Club is you have a baked in, inbuilt aura given the the legendary career that William Regal had as like sort of a hard man and a technician and as a as an old gnarly bloke with a gravitas informed by his really well-received NXT general manager run, which even I can say, if you're going to do an authority figure, do it like William Regal in NXT. He was effectively a slightly more visible Jack Tunney. Yes. Which Jack Tunney is the absolute limit of what I like. Every now and then, something is such a transgression that an incredibly boring administrator must appear on your television to make it feel like this is a an actual entity, a mm-hmm. sports entity that cannot go off the rails with heat and all the rest of it. It has to have a veneer of respectability to it. Jack Tunney was perfect. Regal is just above that in terms of he could make impromptu matches, which are my least favorite thing. But regardless, William Regal is a guy with a built-in credibility. Now, Brian Danielson 
has that exact same thing. Possibly the greatest wrestler in the world. Mm-hmm. Possibly one of the greatest, if not the greatest wrestlers of all time. Yes, he was sort of doing Team Hell No stuff, but you'll always have this aura. Mm-hmm. It becomes special in the context of AEW because they haven't just put together three hard guys with a bit of cred and give them the stable. The Blackpool Combat Club, which this episode of Rampage was focused around, becomes brilliant through John Moxley. Now, John Moxley was a goofball in WWE. He was so wacky. You could tell I was a great promo and worker under there, but that got lost mm-hmm. because of the way he was portrayed. You can only have something as magical, and generally the word is magical at this point for the Blackpool Combat Club, if you have three years of consistently solid booking where the wins are very, very, very few and far between. Uh, the losses, sorry, are very few and yeah. far between. The few lo- losses that you have, the man has preserved um, his integrity as a character, is preserved because he was screwed out of matches like he was at Winter is Coming, or you book a total badass defiant finish where he's peeling himself off barbed wire to try and get um, up from the count of the Texas death match against Lance Archer. When you have three years of solid, incredible world title level booking around you, where you win way more often than you lose, you kick ass, you're, you just come across as a badass through your promo game and all the rest of it, then you have the ingredients in place to do that which was done in the main event. You can't just magic up a Blackpool Combat Club. No. You can't just pretend people are hard, or you can't rely on people's perceptions of what the characters are to do something like this. You cannot magic it up. It takes literally years of great booking. And the obvious, obvious parallel, given the, the nature of the finish, is Bret Hart and Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. The Bret Hart-Steve Austin thing worked on a number of levels, not least of which was because Bret Hart, for about six years, had been preserved as a proper main event proposition, defeating whom was considered a, an incredibly difficult task. When the sharpshooter can't put him away until he passes out, Steve Austin becomes a badass. So it's not just a borrowed finish because you're not really borrowing something. You're just being inspired by something that you have the creative license to do because you've done the hard work for three solid years. So when other promotions tell you one week, oh, you meant to care about this guy we haven't cared about for 18 months. (laughs) It's all the more pronounced as nonsense when AEW has done something as profoundly brilliant as the Blackpool Combat Club. Yeah, really excited to get talking about that main event. We have to start at the beginning of the show, though, which also featured a member of the Blackpool Combat Club, Brian Danielson uh, versus Trent Beretta, William Regal on commentary, often excusing himself for being there because commentary was doing such a good job of of doing everything in and around this match and and this storyline, basically. Um, Look, we know what Trent Beretta and and Brian Danielson can do together, and they were just allowed to do it here. Um, There was a, a victory roll to take them both out to the floor earlier on. Uh, but then when Beretta goes for a slingshot plancher, Danielson just kicked him right in the chest. Uh, Danielson tries a tope, uh, but uh, Beretta catches him, back suplexes him on the floor, and then Danielson sends Beretta into the stairs to take us to a split-screen break. When we come back, a snap suplex from Danielson, whilst Regal slags off Beretta from hanging around with those goose, the best friends, basically. Um then Beretta catches Danielson going up top, superplexes him. Um, they get exchanged chops on their feet. Beretta ducks an Inziguri, takes Danielson down with a German suplex, goes for that DDT of his, 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 but Danielson counters with a rolling elbow. He does a head and arm capture suplex. That gets a two count. He uh, puts him in an inverted dragon sleep, which always looks like it absolutely sucks. Uh, but Beretta gets to the ropes for a rope break. 
Um, Danielson puts him in a cravat, sends knees into Beretta's head. There's going to be more of that later on. Uh, goes to the pile driver, but Beretta counters it with a backdrop. He hits that tornado DDT of his. Uh, Beretta does for a two count. Sets uh, Danielson up top for a top rope Hurricane Rana, but he gets crotched. And uh, as Danielson goes to the top rope backdrop suplex, Beretta shifts his weight into a modified bulldog. Terrifying with you know when you know what Danielson's head and neck has been through, but we always say this. He just takes you right to that limit in terms of just landing in the right way. Absolutely. Uh, Danielson fires back with kicks. Beretta just screams at him and fires back with forearms. He catches Danielson with a half and a half suplex. Really stiff lariat gets a two count. And then out of nowhere, Danielson fires back, hits the Busaiku knee on Beretta, hits him with a pile driver on top of that. How's your neck, Trent? Um, and again, he's done. Does the stamping on the head bit and then doesn't just put him in the label lock. Oh. Does an inverted label lock just to make sure that he, well, breaks his neck, it looks like, for a second time. Thankfully, the referee waves it off at that point. Brian, Brian Danielson gets the win. What an opener. This is absolutely class, right? And the best thing about it is that when you know you have the hype surrounding Mox uh, versus Utah in the main event and you're watching this match and you're thinking, oh, this isn't the one they raved about, you have to think, oh my God, how good's this main event going to be? <laughs> yes. Um, because I think the general noise out of this one um, from the building was pretty much not there because of one match stealing all the headlines for obvious reasons. I did hear on Observer Radio that Meltzer was told by a fan in attendance that the match was really, really great, um, but it just lacked heat and obviously... It, it just was come off the back of uh, the F- Young Bucks, FTR F- Bucks. Yeah. yeah, so it came off the back of FTR Bucks, so the general consensus was, oh, really, really... Excellent, well-worked TV match, but it just wasn't as good as the main event. This was so goddamn good (laughs) that I'm watching it thinking, oh, the main event must live up to the hype and more Mm. if this doesn't get talked about. It's tempting because Danielson's Danielson working four-star TV matches just whenever it feels (laughs) like it, which is literally every time. Whenever, wherever, wherever, Boston. Um... So the temptation is, oh, it's Danielson doing great things and working a four-star TV match because that is his minimum. That's how great he is. I really want to put over Trent and his facial expressions and how it feeds into the story. He was excellent in this match. Um, Danielson gave him a ton. I love the idea of that's just how AEW tends to do its back-and-forth TV matches. It's always productive so that when Trent is called upon in about, what, a month to put someone else over, possibly Utah himself, he'll feel like he's still got a degree of credibility because he wasn't just beaten very sort of casually and quickly. They always give opponents something um, for that long, long, long-term um, goal in terms of their booking patterns. But it was really um, noticeable here how he got a lot because the idea is Utah is meant to be sort of desperate to join the Blackpool Combat Club and um, who are probably going to do yet more things with the best friends. So you can't make the best friends look like geeks. They have to have something in store um, for the Blackpool Combat Club during like sort of a comeback sequence as and when they play with the dynamics of that yet further. There's a moment where Trent is like sort of hanging by the ropes a little bit, um, his head over the second one. And Danielson's just being a sadistic prick like the American Dragon character is, and just kicking him in the back of the head. Trent's got this expression on his face which seemed to convey to me, yes, I'm getting my ass kicked. Yes, this guy's toying with me. Yes, clearly he's better and he's rumming it in. I know I'm not as good as him. It's literally written all over my face, which is brilliantly acted, incidentally. But I'm going to fire up anyway. Yeah. And I'm going to really hurt myself just to get at him because I can't be told by this young idiot in his head, Wheeler Utah, that I'm nowhere near sort of his level. So he fights back. He gets a really good rally. And then... 
that in turn feeds the sadistic desire of uh, Brian Danielson all the more, who decides to try and effectively twist his head off. <laughs> he was trying to twist his head off with that sort of match winning Grovid um, to teach Trent a lesson. Don't you dare fire back at me <laughs> because I will just beat you harder than you've ever sort of been beaten before. I don't care about your history with neck issues. I don't care that this is going to really hurt you more than it hurt anybody else with a healthy neck. I'm the American Dragon. I embody violence in professional wrestling, and here it is. Don't dare step to me again. Like, Trent going out like such a badass was really in character. It really sort of overlapped with the wider storyline between uh, Best Friends and, mm. Com- and the Blackpool Combat Club. And I was just watching this thing, and this goddamn rules how much more awesome should the main event be. I've heard people say, oh, what, what AW needs to do is show long hooks. You know, and we talked about it, I think, on the preview, in fact. Uh, and this was a show long hook. It just wasn't, you know, one or two people. It was several, and it was like, well, if you've got this in the opener... How's this story going to finish in the main event? And yeah, a hell of a build for that. They like, do company long hooks, if mm, you like. Yeah. If the way that every character interacts with each other. Yeah, and just like you say, uh, it's it's we're going to sort of weirdly brush over this. We're trying to heap as much praise as we can on it, but it's like these guys, what's the phrase? These guys walked so the main event could run, yes. basically. Uh, then we get an interview, sort of. Uh, Lexi Nair's trying to interview Hook, who's just eating crisps or chips, if you're American. Chips. Um, he doesn't say anything, and then he, Dan Housen's there. Then as a very evil, my wife, my curse does not work. Uh, oh my God. And, uh, yeah, Dan Housen's not too disappointed because he gets the chips that have been chucked away in the trash. Hook versus Danhausen is going to be like a masterpiece. Yeah. You're going to get one moment where it feels like Danhausen does these things where he kind of like, he'll act afraid. I saw one ROH match where he sort of acted scared of getting his ass kicked. He sort of hit himself in the apron and sort of like looked into an offensive stretch. You're going to get one moment where you think Hook has finally been got. Mm. And then the fury of being potentially got <laughs> is going to fuel a head drop suplex. And that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Dan Hazard's face page is going to be smeared across that. Yeah. Uh, right, then we get the... Smeared me- across his forearm when he does the <laughs> flooding blows. <laughs> right, here come the men of the year. They are out there uh, to cut a promo. Scorpio Sky said he's he's dropped the open challenge because he wants to do the right thing and no one can beat him. No, no one's beaten him in 394 days. And then here comes Sammy Guevara and Tay Conti, who gets a reaction... Always divisive with the WWE universe. Yeah. Uh, Sammy Guevara and Tay Conti. Um, they call Lambert a piece of shiz sexist. And then uh, Tay Conti well, translates Dan Lambert in, in Portuguese, basically, to mean that. Uh, and Lambert fires back and says, look, I may well be a sexist, but I'm also a father. And, you know, I think Tay's been already been enough through enough enough humiliation as it is uh, and I th- he says the father of me thinks you should run your mouth a lot less you should focus more on the ring and stop talking about what you two get up to in the bedroom and I think oh here we go again and then Ethan Page comes out with an excellent promo he says um, that Sammy and Tay are a, a, a dis- an impending disaster a PR disaster that's going to happen any moment now and he he mentions his daughter watching at home although she won't be watching because she's asleep because he's a good da- goddamn father and he says I pray that you never become anything like Tay Conti uh, and Sammy what Gar- a successful professional wrestler who's <laughs> enjoying a monogamous relationship with someone n- as if having multiple sexual partners, as long as everything's consensual, is remotely a bad thing. Indeed. This whole thing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so then 
Sammy uh, says he, he already what did he already said earlier. I think he dropped a oh she, he dropped a shut the hell up earlier, and then he said I don't give a shiz about your kids, uh, Ethan. He says he's going to continue interrupting them until he gets what he wants, and they've got something big planned for next week. By all accounts, right, the Boston crowd absolutely savaged this, and they did a basic WWE Thunderdome job edit (laughs) of the reaction, which I hate. I hate the precedent it sets already on Rampage if certain matches don't get like a hot enough reaction because the crowd's exhausted after a marathon taping. They'll pipe in the crowd noise. They'll make it look hotter and more vibrant than it actually is, which is just fake. It's all the work, obviously, but this is just like, this is insulting to the intelligence. This is pretending the reactions aren't there, which I cannot stand. And it's like, every it's it's one thing to press the cheer.wav button for a match that's kind of dying on its arse. It's quite another to no-sell the actual organic reaction of the vast majority of fans. I find that deplorable. I hate the precedent that it sets. It's just yet another thing I hate about this ongoing Sammy Guevara take on the deal. The optics of, right, I understand that Dan Lambert is portraying a heel character and he says things that are unpopular and outright untrue because that's what heels do to generate heat. I'm not an idiot. But, like, it's a question of where the line is. You could have a heel saying despicably racist or ableist things mm. to try and generate heat. I don't want that on television. Yes, it'll, that is essentially what a heel, quote-unquote, would do. That is essentially something that a heel could say to get a reaction, but at what cost? Do you want it to look low rent? Do you want to make people, like, part of your audience feel horrible? No, you don't. Be clever about it. It's 2022. Just don't be a dick and be clever about the way you can get a reaction. Um, The idea that AEW is having a, yes, a fictional character writing material agreed upon by all parties involved in the segment, all of that notwithstanding... The optics of having AEW have a heel character, slut shame, one of the women, is horrendous given the continuing struggles of the AEW women's division. Yes. If they had this really vibrant, in-depth, well-represented women's division and you were doing this at the same time, I'd feel marginally better about it, even though I would still hate it. Like, take on could be having sex with the entire locker room. If she wants and she consents to it, of course she can. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't she? Like, why couldn't she answer me that question? And yes, it's a heel character saying it. I don't care. Um, just be more creative about how you get heat. There could be a woman who really wants to get into AEW, right? And who's desperate to get into it. And we want more people to like AEW. We want these full houses um, to continue. We want these wonderful atmospheres to receive these great um, matches. There could be a woman watching this and thinking, oh, right, okay, so I'm a whore for having sex with multiple partners Mm -hmm. because I'm single and I'm free to do so. Uh, This is rubbish. This is misogynistic trash, and I don't like it. And if it was Ethan Page, I know it wouldn't be, but if it was Ethan Page, he'd be a top shagger, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. This is just all of this is absolutely horrendous. Um, It's getting to the point now where I start, it's come back around. I'm starting to feel bad for Sammy and Conti because if they've pitched it, that's one thing, but... Tony Khan should have the foresight to say, no, they shouldn't be on television. And yet, in a weird way, <laughs> Ethan Page was sort of correct. They are an impending PR disaster, but not for the reasons that they're giving, just because it's it's so topsy-turvy. So it's like you say that you're... Now, that after subsequent to this, you're maybe you know, backing Sammy and Tay a little bit, but not for the reasons that they want. And 
like you say, the fact that they have to do this with with crowd sweetening and stuff, it just does. It just all of this just doesn't work. And I, you know, I, I look on Twitter, I look on YouTube comment sections to all this, and it's it's just universally. It's, it's so, you said this. You said this. I'm just going to ape what you said on the preview. It's so tone deaf. It's baffling that this is the same company that can do the Blackpool Combat Club stuff on this episode as well. Yeah, I've criticised Sammy Guevara for flouting his relationship and bragging about his great life, and all of which is to detract from connecting with the crowd. So I'm now a little bit annoyed that he's got this great life. Like, really, is it his fault at this point, I'm thinking? Mm. Like, can he not just have a nice life? I almost feel bad for criticising Sammy Guevara and his social media activity because it's not particularly sort of well-judged in measuring, all right, okay, like, it's very, very entitled, braggadocious behavior. He doesn't deserve this. This doesn't be booked like this as a result of it. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique, and your conversations should reflect that eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Moving on, uh, QT Marshall was Chris Jericho's sports entertainer of the week. And then he was in action uh, against Isaiah Swerve Strickland. Uh, nice spot from Swerve where he gets thrown over the top and hand springs off the apron to land on his feet. Again, we talk about him being unorthodox. That's the, the beautiful side of it. Sometimes there may be issues with someone getting on his level, but that's not Swerve's fault. He's just mint in the ring. Um, we come back from the break, I think, and Strickland's in control. Elbow to the back of Marshall's head. Uh, Marshall hits a pop-up uppercut, goes for the diamond car, but gets countered. Uh, Strickland hits a flatliner and does the whole whose house, Swerve's house, into a kick to the back of the head, which I think is a better finisher. I much prefer that for Swerve. That gets him the one, two, three post-match. The absolute piece that is Ricky Starks stands up uh, from commentary to challenge Strickland uh, to a tag match, I believe, this week on Dynamite. Yeah. Uh, Swerve and Keith Lee versus Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. Yes, please. Yeah, that match should be tremendous. This one wasn't tremendous, but it wasn't tremendous by design. It was meant to be just a little showcase win for uh, Swerve Strickland. I do like the finish as well. It's good to have a secondary finish at the best of times because you can drive drama in across all parts of your match. You can preserve your actual finish. See Brian Danielson. <laughs> See Brian Danielson for this indeed. The the psycho knee always gets a reaction and 
doesn't really use it as a finisher. That's the genius of it. And Strickland's folded that into his act as well. Um, something like this works against um, a bigger opponent because QT Marshall, he always takes me by surprise by how large, not a fat lad, but you know, like how <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. big of a unit, a really good sort of... Um, Built like a fridge. Built like a fridge heel guy. So yeah, there was some stuff in this match that was really cool. Uh, there was also stuff that was just kind of there. It wasn't blow away awesome, but as I said, it just sort of existed, functioned to keep Strickland in your thoughts as a guy who can be a player in this company. So so excited for that tag match as well this week on Dynamite. This big week for AW this week. I forget about the fact that we've got Dynamite, Rampage with the bloody Texas death match, and then Battle of the Beards as well yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, championship week they're calling it. Yeah, not ideal that they've booked that over Easter weekend here in the UK, but you know. For the content. Yeah. Uh, Come on, Tony, mate. If we're on the payroll, we can at least have a little, you know, <laughs> ridiculous. But hey, all those bots will come after us on Twitter now. Yeah. What a mad weekend. Anyway, um, nice uh, Marina Shafir promo. I thought she looked great, and it really heightened uh, the excitement and the build towards her match with Jade Cargill. Uh, and then we got the uh, Owen Hart Foundation tournament qualifier between Red Velvet and Willow Nightingale. It's going to sound incredibly patronizing there and say, I'm so happy for both of them. But I was so happy for Willow Nightingale to get the reception she got at the beginning and at the end of this match. And, uh, you know, fair play to Red Velvet, who sort of adapted to it in terms of recognizing, yeah. oh, you know, it's not just 100% support for Red Velvet because she's the, you know, AEW original or whatever. Um, yeah, there was some decent support for Willow Nightingale. Uh, she hit a shoulder block early on to get a nice reaction. Uh, slammed down Velvet, then missed a sent on. Uh, then she missed a moonsault later on, and that allowed Velvet to fight back and hit a pair of sling blades and a hook kick for a two count. Nightingale fights back, though, spine buster for a two count. A brilliant pounce. Uh, credit not just to Willow, but the way Red Velvet yeah. sold that. She went crash test dummy style flying for this one. Uh, cannonball in the corner gets uh, Willow a two count. She goes for a suplex, but uh, Velvet rolls out of it into a modified sort of backstabber, and then she hits that corkscrew kick of hers. Maybe a little bit of miscommunication towards the finish, but nevertheless, Red Velvet wins. She qualifies for the Owen Hart Foundation tournament. No great surprise in terms of the result, but uh, a pleasant surprise in terms of the reaction for this match and for the competitors. Yeah, it was a total over-delivery. I felt a little bit harsh because... <laughs> Not, didn't feel harsh, felt a little bit bad because on literally any other episode of Rampage, say that this had like a nice sort of three and three quarter star worthy dynamite at AEW level main event. No great surprise, no great sort of seismic transformative moment in the career <laughs> yeah. of one of the participants involved. Everyone would be like praising that match and saying, Jesus Christ, isn't Willow Nightingale want to watch? Isn't she a prospect? It's not their fault that they booked two awesome breakthrough <laughs> no. performances and two wrestlers on the same show happen to really get a sort of an unexpected reaction through the absolute greatness of their work on the night. But yeah, like any other episode of AEW television, people would have really emerged from this talking about Willow Knight and Gale and um, sort of fantasy booker and future um, AEW sort of shows, almost like trying to manifest the... Willow is all elite graphic on mm, the back yeah. of it. Obviously, that conversation didn't happen because the main event was what it was. But this was really well done. Um, bags of personality in this match, like a lot of drama. Considering Red Velvet's been a sporadic presence on TV, and this is Willow Nightingale's AEW debut, and they had to really work the crowd into mm. getting a reaction, particularly um, at the on a rampage taping, which is the most difficult. Um, block of that taping to get a reaction. I thought this was really, really well done. And again, I have to just echo your thoughts on Red Velvet entirely. Don't you love it? 
when it's not an uncanny synthetic world where everything has to happen in accordance with what the booking mm. sort of dictates, irrespective of whether that's not sort of what is reflected in the arena and in the atmosphere. Red Velvet has the creative latitude and God damn it, the incredible instincts yes. to sort of have the disposition of, oh, so you're not cheering me, don't care, going to win anyway, acknowledge the reaction, sort of with a shrug, as if to say, yeah, you might like her, but I like me, I've got the confidence, I'm going to get the job done whether you like it or not. Though her body language and her facials are great at the end of this. Um, absolutely would want to see more of Willow going forward. What a cracking little over-delivery of a TV match this was. Yeah, just to talk, talk very quickly about Willow as well, if you're going to put her on Dynamite, and we know less people watch Rampage than watch Dynamite, um, more people should, as we've seen on, on this viewing, I just have a little video package with her talking because that's what they had at the Supercard of Honor show. And I went from, I have no idea who Willow Nightingale is. It's my fault. I should do more uh, outside of the obvious stuff watching. But you fall in love with her straight away when you see her. And then, like you say, in, in ring, she's great. So, yeah, uh, hopefully we get to see her more on AW and uh, especially on AW Dynamite because she's a great presence. And, yeah, Red Velvet qualifies for the tourney. Uh, Tony Nese and his tiny knees were next. Uh, they were unhappy. Uh, the collective, uh, about the lack of enthusiasm for his introduction for a backstage interview. So he goes off on that, and then Smart Mark Sterling comes in to offer his services, and Tony Nice seems intrigued. Right decision. That I think it, uh, it could be an intriguing combination. Perfect. Not being like a Mark, but just when you think Tony Khan couldn't get any better at this, <laughs> he decides to tweak one character's presentation in a way where you think, you know what, this is absolutely ideal. Jay Cargill's clearly turning face very soon. Smart Mark Sterling can't possibly be in that act. He's kind of baggage at this point. The idea is that Jade Cargill is beginning to resent Smart Mark Sterling because he's not given her good enough challenges. He's sort of like tacitly losing faith mm -hmm. in his prospect, in his uh, charge, if in fact he doesn't believe her capable of beating a Marina Shafir. So this sort of <coughs> deft dovetailing booking <laughs> could eventually land Smart Mark Sterling in preserving his role as a heel and at the same time giving someone like Tony Nese that little bit of extra TV pizzazz yes. to, one, give him a story arc, um, and two, give him an extra dimension to his act that is a little bit lacking and it always has mm. been. I still maintain he's got more um, TV-level charisma and has been sort of mined by the wrestling promoters on national television for which he's worked. And this could be the ideal vehicle with which to sort of get that out of him. This is a guy, and this is one of my mine and Hamlet's favorite sort of um, backstage pitches. Tony Nee said that with his absolutely incredible body, he wanted a, a, an entrance. Maybe Smart Mark Sterling can be in canon, the guy who tells him, oh, you need to be more of a TV star. This is what you should do. Where he was to go, boom, one up. Two, second ab, go through his entire eight pack, which is what he has, <laughs> and sort of triggering an explosion of pyro <laughs> every time he touches one of his abs. If Smart Mark Sterling can be the guy who, in kayfabe in storylines, tells him to do this entrance just so we get this entrance, and in doing this entrance, Tony Nese becomes more of a TV sort of friendly guy. Perfect, because yeah. as we said with Tony Nese, he's very valuable as a guy who can lose. He can still primarily lose in matches alongside Smart Mark Sterling. I'm not saying you should go to the main event with this act, but it just makes it more entertaining. Yes. It just makes his matches more of a spectacle. Uh, spectacle. It just gives his sort of character more of a reason for being than the dreaded, uh, people don't care about me in this promotion. Mm, yeah. It's like, oh, that's infectious, buddy, because if you say that, I'm going to say it as well. Just a nice 
little low-key means of making a win over Tony Nice mean something. Exactly. And giving Tony Nice something more entertaining to do. Uh, then we have the uh, promo before the main event. I really enjoyed this. Wheeler Yuta's got the ring of a pure championship over his shoulder, and he's talking about his history uh, with well, with both members of the Blackpool Combat Club, but particularly with John Moxley. Third time's going to be the charm, he says, basically. Uh, and he's going to earn respect. That's the whole story of this. And uh, Moxley, who has his back to the camera for the most part of this uh, of this interview, turned around and said, look, I'm not here to show you respect. I'm here to spill your guts all over the mat, which is a little bit of a teaser of what's to come. But yeah, fired the fans, the wrestlers, and myself up for the main event. And now it's over to Mark Henry. Well, looks like we've had enough time. It's time for the main event. Gets longer every time. I know, especially with this one. I was, I was just looking at my notes there going, I'm going to miss something out in this match. So I do apologise if I do, because this was a wild 13-minute war. Can I very quickly, before you go full balls deep into your dramatic reading here, I really like this pre-match thing as well. The whole presentation yeah. was perfect. Can you remember what Jake Roberts said to Cody Rhodes um, when he made his AEW debut just before the pandemic? said, never, ever turn your back on someone you're afraid of or respect or something. Mm. I'm paraphrasing. And then he turned his back on him. And it's like, oh, John Moxley had his back to the camera the whole time. <laughs> Just in lovely little subtle detail exactly. about the character dynamic and how they would sort of subvert that over the course of the match. Mark Henry was great here as well. He's not just a catchphrase. His inflections and the way he does it are like very different depending on the mood mm-hmm. and his sort of, he looks sort of a little bit shaken and he's, his cadence seemed to convey the idea of you're, you're about to see a war here, lads. It is <laughs> yeah. in fact time for the main event. Uh, and they didn't bloody mess about. You makes his entrance, then Moxley does his standard entrance through the crowd. But before he can even get in the ring, Tope Suicida by Wheelie Uta uh, through the ropes to attack Moxley. They brawl out on the floor. Uta actually gets the advantage. When they get into the ring, though, Moxley released German suplexes him. Vertical suplex takes control on Wheelie Uta and he chops him in the corner. But Uta's, you know, he's an experienced head now. He fights back, chops Moxley himself. Um... Then uh, Moxley backdrops Yuta to the floor and curb stomps him into the ring steps. And when we look back at Wheeler Yuta, he is busted wide open. He is pissing blood everywhere. Uh, that takes us into the break. Um, and he just he just tortures Yuta throughout the break. There's a, I'm going to say it now because I'm worried I've not mentioned this in my notes. There's the Moxley, you know, he's going for the the the, the cut. He does the, the back scratch with his nails along the back, which was aped again by, or copied or, you know, mirrored by Yuta later on in the match, which was a lovely touch. Anyway, when we come back from the picture-in-picture break, Yuta's face is just... It's just covered. It's a it's a, a crimson mask. Uh, Moxley gets sent out to the floor, and uh, Uta dives off the top rope with a crossbody to send Moxley through the timekeeper's table. That gets a huge reaction from the fans. Huge bab, huge bab. But they were going to need to pace themselves here because there were going to be a lot more of these to come. Get back in the ring, rolling German suplexes from Uta. He blocks the lariat, modified sort of angle slam, and then he kicks Moxley right in the head. He hits a frog splash. Fans are thinking this could be it. One, two, kick out from Moxley. He immediately puts him in the cross face. Moxley has to counter out of that with a cradle, and then he hits that King Kong lariat of his to take Uta's head off, head off. and you think, right, okay. That was a nice little flurry, but here comes the finish. Two count. Uh, so Moxley again. Pounds the cut on Yuta, who fires up. He comes off the top. Uh, Moxley catches him with a kick. 
Paradigm shift. There we go. There's the finish. Nope. Two count. Yuta kicks out. We get a shocked kick out face that's actually warranted here, uh, especially from John Moxley of all people. So he goes, all right, that didn't work. Bulldog choke time. He does it. Um, again, Yuta still refuses to submit. So Moxley spin around, spins around, and as I mentioned earlier, knees Yuta as hard as he can in the head. He charges at Yuta, but Yuta still got enough about him to cradle Moxley for a near fall. And then Yuta slips behind. Mox and puts a bulldog choke of his own on him to again another huge baby uh, <laughs> transitions into a rear naked choke. Moxley rolls through and does the elbow spot, and you think, okay, that's that's properly it. And then he hits Death Rider, isn't it? The sort of high angle paradigm shift that he hits him with. And that, again, only gets a two. People are losing their minds. And I'm not just talking about commentary or the wrestlers, but the fans obviously in the arena. And eventually Moxley does get the victory by another brutal bulldog choke. Just this it's when they squeeze and the more blood comes out of the head like a bottle of ketchup or something like that. But yeah, the bulldog choke eventually gets Moxley the win. But it's not necessarily about who wins and who loses here. Um, because it's about what they've achieved in this match. And it exemplified by the rest of the uh, Blackpool Combat Club coming down, William Regal and Brian Danielson. William Regal in his weird sort of proud, angry face is the way I would describe it. And Yuta uh, thinks that there's going to be an attack and he offers them, you yeah, know, bring it on if that's what's going to happen. But no, eventually he gets to his feet and William Regal extends his hand to Wheeler Yuta. And there's a handshake and there's a just the briefest nod from Brian Danielson. No handshake, no hug or anything like that. That. Just an, an air of acceptance about it uh, and a great reaction for this. He has been uh, accepted by the Blackpool Combat Club, <laughs> symbolized by the fact he paints BCC on his chest with his own blood. Uh, Shout out to Jerry Lynn. There's a lovely moment as well after that where Moxley, again, sort of gets in his face and there's some words exchanged, uh, concluding with Moxley saying, now the real work begins. What a match, what a sign-off, what a match of the year contender, and what a making of Wheeler Utah. What incredible, what, seven or so days that he's had. Yeah, but if you go back further to the month as well, this, yeah, is, exactly. this, this is an absolute masterpiece. This is my match of the year, and it's been such a great year for in-ring wrestling, yet I've never felt like that's one of the very best matches you'll ever see which is what ultimately I reserve my fives for. This is a five. I go by genre as well. Like, I feel like TV matches are sort of unfairly overlooked in terms of the five-star rating, which is usually reserved for, like, epics that have to go, like, 30 minutes mm -hmm. or, like, sort of key main event attractions on pay-per-view or whatever. In terms of genre, as a television match. This is absolute perfection, five stars. I thought this is an absolute masterpiece. And it goes back to Wheeler Yuta's character arc. This is a guy who... Um, sort of turned up in AEW and you thought, all right, okay, they just want a nice young technical prodigy who can, for now, lose good matches, but he's not getting as much as a Daniel Garcia or even a Moriarty. Just filling in for Trent, I thought, to and, start off with. Yeah, and then they use that base. They sort of give him a little bit more every single time. He gets killed by John Moxley. And then in the tag match, he gets like one fire-up spot and the fans are like, this, this guy might have something yeah. to give more support. Then he has the match with Danielson, um, and he gets sort of the better of Danielson on occasion, but it's never sort of questioned, or you're never made to ask, who's definitely winning this? Has he got enough? He's got enough to hang in there, but he's certainly not got enough to beat him. But isn't it cool, because Danielson's so great, that this guy must be worth our support and our investment, because he gave Danielson, like, a bit of pause. Like, mm. he frightened him a little bit, to then 
escalate that story beat into, oh my God, he's got John Moxley beat. John Moxley simply cannot put this guy away to escalate how much offense and they give Wheeler Utah. It's all so carefully administered. It's also carefully well built. And then the reaction accordingly goes up in the same kind of dial as the amount of offense and the amount of spirit and the amount of resolve and the amount of balls and the amount of guts and the amount of drive that he has against these two absolute world elite badass violent ass kickers and they sort of just it's because they're so great and they're so masterful at their craft and this is together Danielson and Moxley it all sort of informs the success of this match and the star making moment their version of turning up the dial it's just masterful well considered professional wrestling they turn up the dial perfectly to about an 8 or a 9 here and he still hasn't won Mm. that's going to come later and then when that's when it gets 10 that's when you think oh will you use the next world champion they're still not there yet, and this is still as powerful a moment as this. So the successful employment of crowd psychology over the last four or five Wheeler Utah matches has been a masterpiece. They've done a speed run of creating a star, effectively, yeah. in Wheeler Utah, and he still hasn't won yet. There are certain moments in this match, and they, they, they do try and tested tropes in how to deliver a spirited loser gets over and defeat type of TV match. Kick out kick out to finishers, blood. Like all of these are sort of ways to do it. I forgot to mention the sharpshooter spot as well. The sharpshooter spot as well. Having a wrestler kick out of a finish and bleeding and losing at the same time. This is all sort of familiar. We've seen AEW, the, co- the promotion itself, sort of employ this several times over its young history. But the genius here is if you don't do this every single week, it actually scans as an achievement. It actually scans as a fight. And if you, again, credibly build a character... Over three incredible years, this John Moxley character I'm specifying here, and when he eventually plays against it, it's so powerful. You can't magic this up, man. It takes three years to be able to do something like this. So the two examples I want to talk about what I loved about this match the most weren't just the Death Rider kickouts. It was, the, as you mentioned, the kickout phase. If you had told me in 2020 that my beloved pandemic John Moxley my beloved pandemic champion, babyface John Moxley, who sort of made me feel like, you know what? There's someone worth supporting. There's a glimmer of light in my stupid professional wrestling brain <laughs> yeah. that, you know, this world isn't come, going to hell in a handbasket. There's one guy who's still really cool, and I get to watch him every week. You would have told me in 2020, oh, you know your pandemic precious, pandemic world champion John Moxley? Yeah, he's going to do a kick-out um, shock face finish. <laughs> he's going to do a... Shocked kick-out face in 2022. I'm thinking, oh, cool, the world's going to get worse then. because <laughs> oh, that's, that's going to suck. And yet he does it in this match, but because it's the first time in three years as the ultimate sort of violent badass, how much does it mean for my support of Wheeler Yuta? How much does it put over Wheeler Yuta's fight that of all people, John Moxley is doing this? Everyone in NXT's character is guy who reacts in a shocked manner when his signature is kicked out of this thing has fallen into cliche mm-hmm. like Adam Cole who's still completely over as all hell so it doesn't really matter that much ultimately he's pissing people off by doing this because it can't be a character it's the sort of thing that becomes heavily ironic that the more you are shocked it's like well if anything this should be familiar mm-hmm. to you this should be the absolute natural course of action if anything you should <laughs> not be looking shocked you should be looking the opposite of shocked but John Moxley of all performers of all characters to do this just fueled it all the more. There's one little tiny moment as well that I want to put over. Um, really, Utah's use of blood. It wasn't just the fact that he was pissing it. It's like he knew exactly sort of how to 
slyly touch it and then sort of like smear it over the apron when he's fighting out so he knows how to work with the visual to prop effectively. Um, it's like greased himself up to get out some submissions as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was just absolutely incredible with his use of blood. Ultimately, blood's the weirdest thing. If you think about it, it's like it's a visual sort of cue to reflect what's happening to the person inside. The actual head wound isn't, it's sort of immaterial. It's just a, it's a visual reflection of the fight that they're going through. But he sort of subverted that and he used it itself to, as he said, like weasel out submissions, sort of use it to sort of visualize his struggle on the mat by smearing it over his hands and letting it drip. There was one moment on the outside where I thought it looked like Joey Mercury. Remember yeah. that injury where it's like instantly pools? It was too, it was too, almost too thick. He took his aspirin. So you've got to be sort of like respectful of not only the way, the, the amount of which he bled, but how he played with the blood as well. But the one spot I really want to put over, because it was so great and it was so low-key, but it really did inform the drama of the match, is the whole idea is that Moxley and Danielson are the absolute doyens of the form. They are the masters and the practitioners of violence. When you get something on them in a fair me- in a, by a fair means, it actually means something. Mm-hmm. These are the guys who will kick ass and ass and ass. And if you actually kick their ass back, it means something. There's a moment in this match where Moxie tries to go for a flash pin attempt. And it's like, you're desperate. Mm. You're looking desperate here. You're not in total control. You are trying to get away with one. Like two WWE painful tropes actually means something again exactly. because John Moxie's awesome. Not only does he do the, do the shocked kick out phase, but he doesn't try to steal one but he does try and go, right, I'm just going to try and sort of gently ease him onto his shoulders and get a quick victory. That If he had a one via that means, it's like, oh, you don't look like the like the purveyor of violence. You look like a guy simply desperate to win a wrestling match, mm-hmm. which betrays your character, but in a way that actually builds the character of Wheeler Yuta, who deserves induction. He tried to put him away very quickly and very anticlimactically on purpose because he knew I can't be the posturing bad guy here. This guy's got my number. Yep. This is an absolute television masterpiece. And the crowd was white hot. The storytelling was incredible. The way they subverted character after three long faithful years was just a total joy. Ultimately, I felt watching this, this is a five-star match. Mm-hmm. And this is my absolute match of the year. This is a television match operating at a genius level sensational stuff do let us know your thoughts on that and the whole uh, episode of rampage on twitter at what culture wwe uh, watch they can follow both of us you can follow michael sidgwick at sorry for rambling there but this match just did things to me at m sidgwick no need to apologize always nice to hear you get passionate about something like this which a lot of us absolutely adored uh, you can follow me on twitter at adam wilborn follow us all at what culture wwe as i said uh, and make sure you subscribe to what culture wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts the smackdown review is available right now and myself sidgwick and hamlet will be back later on to look ahead to Monday Night Raw tonight. But for now, this has been the Rampage Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com